0: Or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hi, Audings.
1: This is the Something Scary Podcast. I'm your Ate Sapphire. Have you ever had a near-death experience? They're a lot more common than you might think. In this week's episode, we'll hear a few tales from people who have seen the light. First, we'll hear about the girl who almost died nine times— Then, we'll travel to Hawaii, where a woman is taken over by ancestral spirits. After that, we'll hear the many close calls of a teenage girl. And finally, we'll have a special encounter late at night in a hospital. I receive hundreds of amazing story submissions every single week. As always, the first story you hear is one that I've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. Then I read a few more stories for the podcast. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, consider joining our Patreon. Our patrons play a huge role in keeping the show running every single week. For more information on how you can help the show, and also be a part of it, visit patreon.com slash snarl. So, wanna hear something scary? The Nine Deaths. The following story was submitted by Jean. This is a true story their best friend Lawrence told them. My name is Lawrence. I was 13 years old at the time. My mom and I were on a trip to my hometown in India, visiting some family. When we arrived, I went to take a shower and freshen up. I'm still not entirely sure how it happened, but I slipped and hit my rear end pretty hard on the floor. I remember my mom pounding on the locked door to let her in while I lay there crying nonstop. After I calmed down a bit and let her in, I remember her examining the floor and being really confused. Because the floor was bone dry, I had slipped before I even stepped into the shower. That was just the beginning. Later that evening, my mom needed to run some errands and she left me alone in the house. I began to write in my diary about the trip so far. That's when I heard something grumble. It was my stomach. So I hopped out of bed to grab some snacks from the kitchen. I opened the door and as I took a step forward, the door slammed back shut, hitting my head hard. I fell backward and onto the carpet. I screamed as I saw and felt blood dripping near my eyes. It hurt so bad. My vision was blurring and I passed out. But before I did, I remember hearing a laugh (laughs) that sounded like a woman's. I woke up. I felt terrible pain on my forehead and I touched the area. It wasn't wet. There was no blood, no swelling, only pain. I was still on the ground. I looked around me, no blood. On the door, no blood there either. The door was still cracked halfway open and I was still home alone. This type of thing kept happening to me. I would get inexplicably hurt, but ultimately end up fine. Like the next day, I was hit by a bus. Another day, a knife flew at me while I was alone in the kitchen. One time, I began choking out of nowhere. Every time something like this happened, I heard that same eerie laugh. (laughs) The day before my 14th birthday, I decided to tell my mom. I had counted eight times that I had nearly died and I didn't want it to happen anymore. While I was explaining every incident to her, I could see the blood drain from her face. She grabbed my hand and pulled me outside, her other hand making calls on her cell phone. I remember feeling really scared. Did I do something wrong? A short ride later, we arrived at a church. The rest of my family was already waiting there. They ushered me inside and my grandma proceeded to tell me what was going on. So the story went that my Aunt Natasha became a teenage mother around the time my parents got married. She lived alone at the time, so no one knew about the baby. Unfortunately, she hated her baby girl, Lawrence. She hated her so much that she tried to kill her multiple times. Slipping in the bathroom, slamming her head by the door, pushing her at a bus stop, throwing a knife at her, cutting her fingers, strangling her, poisoning her, throwing her out the balcony of the fifth floor, drilling her skull. Lawrence died on the ninth try. She died around the same time that I was born. The only reason my family knows about any of this is because when Aunt Natasha visited me for the first time and heard my name, Lawrence, she confessed everything. I was just three years old at the time. My family had her committed to an institution after that. So the priest at the church blessed me in hopes of removing the curse that Aunt Natasha had put on me. And it seems to have worked. So far, it's been a year and I haven't had any more near-death experiences. I'm just glad that I told my parents about what was going on when I did. If I had waited any longer, things might have ended a lot differently.
0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: And now, more something scary. This next chapter comes from Laureen in Hawaii. Hawaii is full of superstitions, legends, and folklore. And for good reason, too. Hawaiians worshiped gods and goddesses. Spirits are known to be strong in Hawaii, and angering one is almost always deadly. It's disrespectful to disregard and steal from the land. Stealing anything from Hawaii is known to bring misfortune to anyone who dares to try. There have been many true encounters of people who steal the lava rocks from Hawaii and end up mailing them back. They claim that when they brought the rocks home, They experienced untreatable illnesses, lost their jobs, lost family members. Thousands upon thousands of rocks and sand get shipped back to the islands because of the misfortune and potential curse these rocks carry. But that's besides my point. The main takeaway is that disgracing the land is frowned upon. And I get it. Ignoring the land isn't all that important in many other places, but to the ancient Hawaiians, it was everything. Chants or olies, would be done just to speak to the gods and goddesses about borrowing or thanking them for what they are to take. Their whole lives were circled around dance and chants to please these superior beings. A little further into the Hawaiian timeline, sugarcane fields were made in numerous islands, one of them being Maui. Big company owners would have immigrants shipped to Hawaii just to work in their cane fields. Chinese, Japanese, Filipinos, many workers would pass away due to illness and bad living conditions overall. They say that the spirits of these plantation workers still roam the fields, waiting for someone to disrespect the land. Dating back not too long ago, my auntie, who is Filipino, had to take a pit stop late at night while near the highway. This highway in particular was right next to the plantation across from the sugar mill industry. There seemed to be portable restrooms set out on the side of the fields. My auntie decided to use the restroom, and my uncles and aunts waited for her back in the van. When she came back, she was acting very strange, twisting her limbs in weird directions, speaking fluently in languages that she could not have known. Trust me, my auntie is as Filipino as it gets. Hearing her speak fluent Hawaiian, Chinese, and Japanese, it was unnerving. My auntie was a small woman, but it took all of my uncles to hold her down to stop her from hurting herself. Her fever began to spike and she kept speaking all these languages. It looked like she was about to die. So my family had to act fast. They took her to the hospital, but the doctors told my aunties and uncles that all her tests came up clean. So my family took my auntie to a far part of the island, a part that is quite isolated from the rest a part of the island that still holds beliefs in the ancient Hawaiians. They took a long, twisty road to a woman who would know a way to rid the spirits. She performed a ceremony on my diseased auntie, and the spirits of those who possessed my auntie came forth one by one. They were plantation workers who passed away in the fields. They spoke of their time in the field and said they only feed off of the weak-spirited. They then begged my auntie to empty her pockets and return what did not belong to her. And then they left. My auntie was motionless on the ground. We ran over to her and tried to wake her up. About a few minutes later, she finally came to. She was completely drained of all her energy. Then she reached into her pocket and pulled out a handful of rocks that she had taken from the fields. To those who visit Hawaii, Please be aware of the customs and beliefs here. Every piece of Hawaii has a long, deep, and rich history, even if you can't see it. Thank you, Lorreen, for sending that story in. This actually reminds me of a couple other places where they have a similar legend, um, where if you take a rock or a piece of tree bark and you bring it back home, then it brings you bad luck. Um, The one that comes to mind for me is the Uluru Rock in Australia. And I believe there's also a forest here in America. I believe it's the Petrified Forest. If you take one of the pieces of trees, it also is said to bring you misfortune. And there is a chance that in some of these places, it's just used to discourage people from taking from the land. But regardless if these things actually do bring you bad luck or not, we should be respectful of the places that we visit. Our next tale was submitted by Madison, who keeps finding herself in near-death situations. I do not know why, but I've been pulled away from near-death experiences more than usual the last few years. It was a nice summer's day, unusually warm with a gentle breeze. My family and I, including some cousins from central Canada, decided to go for a swim at the beach. We were jumping the waves, no worries or fears, well, at least until the sand left from beneath our feet. We were swimming at a beach in Newfoundland, where the island is basically surrounded by currents. After treading water side by side for nearly two hours, I was exhausted. I didn't even realize that I was being carried away by the current further and further from shore. Then I felt something start lightly tugging my leg. It was subtle enough that I didn't notice it at first, like a hand wrapped very lightly around my ankle, only touching it. Then it pulled me. I was confused at first, thinking something was gonna pull me under, but I did not go any farther below than I already was. It kept tugging for a few minutes longer until my feet hit sand. I was back on land. My mom was so happy that we were safe, but when I looked at her, I could see that she was using the happiness to mask her confusion. I could still see it in her eyes, though. She did not understand how we escaped the strong current. Another time, me and my brother were outside at night with our friends. We're never too old to enjoy playing a game of tag, hide-and-go-seek, or manhunter. At the time, we were playing hide-and-go-seek, and I was it. Since I had caught one of our friends, he stayed on the deck fiddling with my brother's rifle that they had been using earlier. I had been standing in the same spot for a while, looking around to make sure I had a good understanding of my surroundings. I planned to stay there for a few more minutes, but I heard somebody whisper, Psst. hey, Madison, Madison, over here. It was quiet enough that it was barely audible. But you can always tell when somebody is saying your name. I figured it was one of my friends taunting me into finding their hiding spot. They kept repeating my name over and over, each time sounding farther away. My full attention was on my hearing that, when I heard a bullet fire, it was enough to make me drop to the ground covering my ears. Still a bit surprised, I stood up and looked at the deck. My brother's friend was looking at me with an expression of pure terror. I took out my phone and used the flashlight to see where the bullet had landed. I noticed a small hole in the side of my garage, and when tracing it back to the gun, noticed that the path was exactly where I was standing before I got distracted by the voice. The rest of our friends came out of their hiding spots, confused and angry about the loud gunshot but nobody emerged from where I heard the voice. I still don't know who it was. The most recent incident like this that happened was in the woods behind my home. Me and my brother were with my dad and my dog Jackson, checking snares and planning to get firewood afterwards. I was behind everybody else, enjoying the sights of the forest with the half-melted snow and dripping branches. I was taken by surprise when I felt a hand lay on my back. I wasn't given a second to react before I felt hard pressure and I fell to the forest floor. I heard a loud creak and the echoing of splintering wood and looked above me to see a well-sized tree crashing towards me. At a reflex, I curled down even more into a ball than I already was and covered my head and neck, expecting to feel intense pain any second. When it didn't come and the sound stopped, I looked back to see that the tree had been caught from falling all the way by another tree on the opposite side. I really don't know what is going on. I'm an atheist and not extremely superstitious, so why would this be happening to me? If anyone out there has any ideas, let me know. Thank you for that story, Madison. I know you said that you're an atheist but there is a very classic religious explanation for this is that uh you have a guardian angel but the thing that interests me the most is why you keep finding yourself in those situations to begin with um if anybody listening has any theories as to who it is that keeps protecting madison send me an email And now we've reached our final chapter, which comes to us from Linda. Was I dreaming or was I dying? That was the question that has haunted me. How close did I come to leaving this world? First, let me just say, when I have told this story before, many dismiss it by saying you were heavily drugged and must have imagined it. Others more willing to listen would ask, were you scared? and I would always have to tell them no. It all started when I was in high school back in November of 2001. We had just been let out on break for Thanksgiving, but that time off was quickly ruined when I caught the flu. Or at least it started out as the flu. My dad and brother were truck drivers making deliveries across the country, so it was just my mom, my older sister, my nephew, and me. No one really took any notice as the flu descended into something worse. I barely ate anything on Thanksgiving Day, and on that day there was an excruciating pain that can only be described as having a piece of scrap metal turning inside each time I moved. Two days after Thanksgiving, my dad and brother came home to find me curled up on the couch and afraid to move. My dad recognized the symptoms right away and rushed me to the hospital. Immediately, the staff knew the danger I was in, especially when it was learned I have this pain for three days. They rushed me into surgery, but even then, as the doctors removed the appendix, it ruptured, leaking poisons into me. I spent three weeks in the hospital and had a draining tube and bag to get the poisons out. I was in constant pain, so I was heavily dosed with morphine, At one point, I was so heavily drugged, I was swearing at the doctor, according to my mother, who was shocked that I could swear so much. Even today, there is a large gap where I do not remember what happened, and perhaps it was for the best. Shortly after, the medical staff reduced the dosage and frequency of the morphine given. No one wanted to see an 18-year-old swear like a sailor. Yes, it meant I was in pain, but I preferred it to large blank gaps in my memory. On the third day after my surgery, I was asleep in the hospital room, and my mom refused to leave, worried the staff might overdose me. She had heard the horror stories of mistakes being made and the charts not being properly marked and patients dying of an overdose. It was the reason she watched the nurses and doctors so closely. Since I was not sharing the room with other patients, there was no problem with her or my dad staying. I remember waking up, for seemingly no reason, or perhaps my mom had said my name. I looked over at her to find her and my dad asleep, in the large chairs provided. Maybe my side ached and woke me? I looked at the clock. 3.15 a.m. Soon the nurse would be in to take another blood sample. Vampires. I was certain that was why they kept taking my blood. Perhaps I woke because I was expecting to be woken. I looked to the door, and that was when I saw her. A little girl, no older than eight or nine, stood in the doorway looking at me. She wore a white nightgown and had long blonde hair and beautiful blue eyes. In hindsight, she looked perfect, not a hair out of place. Um, hi, I said, wondering why a patient was wandering around the hospital at three in the morning. Are you lost? Do you need me to call one of the nurses? The little girl smiled at me and said, I'm going to the gift shop. Will you go with me? I sat up, confused, then realized what I had done. I expected pain from the simple movement, but there was none. Nothing at all. I touched my side. Still nothing. I applied a little pressure to be sure. Not even a twinge. I looked over at my mom. She was a very light sleeper. I would have thought the two of us speaking would have woken her, but she was still asleep. I looked back at the little girl still waiting for my answer. The gift shop is probably closed, I said. The little girl looked saddened by the news like any other child that is told no. It was hard to explain, but the absolute last thing I wanted to do was disappoint her. In fact, I would have given anything to make her happy. So I quickly added, we can go later when it's open if you like. The girl smiled at me and said, that's okay. Bye. Before I could say more, she left the doorway and I frowned, concerned. I looked at the clock again and it still said 315. That was when I noticed the hands weren't moving. Maybe the clock's batteries needed to be replaced. Not knowing the time, I decided I would call the nurse and let her know about the little girl. I clicked the button and waited and waited some more. At one point i must have dozed off because i was woken again by the nurse coming in my mom immediately woke and was watching us it's time to take another blood sample she said and i groaned at the idea as she prepared the needle i looked at the clock now it said three thirty-five a.m and the hands were working normally i shrugged it off and decided to make the nurse's job easier by sitting up more i winced as the sharp familiar pain ran through my side Why hadn't it hurt earlier? Did you or the other nurses spot the little girl? I think she was lost. She wanted to go to the gift shop. Which little girl? The nurse asked as she performed the blood draw. The little blonde haired girl. She was standing in the doorway about 20 minutes ago. Now the nurse gave me a funny look, as did my mom. The children's ward is at the opposite end of the hospital. You must have been hallucinating due to the morphine, the nurse said gently. And I frowned, but honestly did not see any other explanation. After drawing the blood, the nurse then picked up my chart from the foot of the bed to mark it. Huh, she said, surprised. What? I asked. It says here you have not had any morphine since six o'clock yesterday. I did a mental count. Over nine hours had passed. The morphine that would have caused me to hallucinate would not have been in effect. Also, there was no pain when I encountered the little girl. The last nurse must have forgotten to mark your chart, the nurse said. No, the chart is correct, my mom said. I've been here making sure of that. Even today, I think about the incident and realize a lot of the first few days were blank, with patchy memories when I had no choice but to have morphine for the pain. Yet that memory has always been clear. I never saw the little girl again, and none of the staff saw her either. My mom had later told me that the other reason she stayed so close was because the doctors told her it was touch and go. They were afraid the poisons that escaped the ruptured appendix would kill me. Even now as I write this, there are large blank patches that I simply can't remember, but she is just as clear as she was then, making me wonder if I dreamt of her or I was dying. Maybe the gift shop that she was asking me to take her to was not the gift shop in the hospital or any kind of gift shop at all. I get the feeling that I will see her again, perhaps in 10, 20, 50 years. Whenever I see her again, I am sure she will ask, and next time, I will take her to the gift shop. The Nine Deaths was inspired by Jean, Audio for this story edited by Johnny Ashley. All other story scripts edited by Adam Singer and Sapphire Sandalo. Music and editing for this podcast by Sapphire Sandalo. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and receive bonus content, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, sweet dreams.